John chapter 12, verse 20 is where we're going to pick up this morning. And let's read. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast, this being the feast of the Passover. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Amen. So you've probably heard the phrase, people use it all the time, when they're not happy with something that someone has done or some, something someone has said, when you're like, get a life, right? Have you ever used that? Get a life. Well, this morning's teaching is entitled, Get a Life, Get the Life. Verse 20 says that there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So these Greeks who came up to worship at the feast, at the feast of the Passover, seems kind of strange at first glance, doesn't it? Because we know that that is a Jewish uh, feast. So why were these Greeks there? Why did they wish to see Jesus? Well, at this time in the culture, uh, there were many Greek philosophers, Greek philosophers were very prominent in society, not so much in Israel, but they traveled around a lot. They traveled long distances to discover new beliefs, new and different things, new ways of thinking. They desired to gain uh, knowledge, new knowledge that they could take on life and a new philosophy of life. They were constantly searching for that kind of thing. And so the text says that they were Greek, not Jews. So therefore, we know from that that they were uh, Gentiles. How do we know that? Well, we've talked about this before, that there's only two types of people, right? Those that have relationship with Jesus Christ and those that don't. That's in our day and age. At this time, there were Jews and then there were Greeks. Or excuse me, there were Jews and then there were Gentiles. So you were either Jewish or you were Gentile, because if you weren't a Jew, everyone else was considered Gentiles, or not Jews. So they came to Philip. The text says, well, why Philip? Well, Philip's a Greek name, so maybe that's why. Or maybe they knew him somehow, because we know from previous texts that Andrew and Peter and also Philip were from the same community, Bethsaida. So they approached Philip, hoping that he could take them to Jesus. You remember in John 10, 16, when we looked at that, Jesus said, Another sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Other sheep. So other than the sheep that he was talking about at that time, which was the Jews, he has other sheep, the Gentiles, which are not of this fold. That we're going to know his ministry was to the Jews and to the Greeks, we see in in Scripture. So these Greeks are Gentiles and they're seeking truth. So after all of the conquests of Alexander the Great, and he conquered uh, the area that we know as Israel as well, 
then Rome came in about 63 BC and they made conquest in many areas, but especially in Israel. Now this happens in what we know is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, the silent years, the 400 silent years where God's not speaking through a prophet to His people. And so during that time, Rome comes through. The Greek language had been established already because of Alexander the Great uh, coming through. So there's a common language, which is Greek. Yes, some people still spoke uh, Hebrew, but Greek became the, uh, the language of choice at that time. Also, they built a system of roads and highways through there. Some of you, if you visited Israel, you might have had the opportunity to walk on some of the old stones up in the Galilee region, which was called the King's Highway. This was the road that any kings or uh, authorities would travel. And they also established a military presence there, right? They, they were policing the area as well. So it's interesting because you have this common language you have this system of roads and highways now that you can travel on that are safe because it's being policed, it's being watched over, so people could move very freely uh, throughout the countries uh, that Rome had came, came into and were ruling over because of this. So it was, a, it was a setup. It was a setup by God in order to spread the gospel because people could move freely about and share what was going on, as well as in this time, you know, Jesus and his disciples could do it as well. So these Greeks, these Gentiles, they asked Philip, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now what a statement that is. It's the equivalent of, will you take me to see Jesus? Will you show me Jesus? Will you introduce me to Jesus? Now you know, throughout our time here together, I've always been in a place of encouraging uh, all of us, including myself, to pray for, early in the morning when we get up to pray for divine appointments, opportunities to minister to people, opportunities to lead someone to Christ, or opportunities to build someone up in Christ that already has a relationship with Him. So praying for divine appointments, Lord, bring someone along in my life that I might be able to share with that He would put someone in our path during the course of our day and during that time that we have with Him in the morning as we spend time with Him in the quiet, He's strengthening us and encouraging us for those moments I and mean, for whatever the day holds for us. So imagine someone coming up and asking you, you leave church today and someone sees you walking out, they're walking down the sidewalk and they said, excuse me, but could you introduce me to Jesus? Could you please tell me about this Jesus? Your response, my response, Lord, is this a divine appointment? Is this what I prayed about this morning? Am I supposed to share now? Duh! Yeah, <laughs> you are. It's a setup by God for that purpose. Um, back in the late uh, 80s, 1980s, I had the opportunity, uh, Chris and I were living in North Carolina at the time, and I had the opportunity to go to Florida to take part in a training seminar which was called Evangelism Explosion. And it was put on by Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church and the pastor there, some of you may have heard of, was a man by the name of Dr. D. James Kennedy. Always started his radio program with what? This is the day the Lord has made, you know. I was there at one of his services because we were there for that seminar and 
there's this huge God-like voice that comes out over the speakers. This is the day the Lord has made. And Dr. Kennedy came out and stood behind his pulpit. And uh, I, I got to go there. The pulpit itself was amazing because there was some type of this architectural thing where it sweeped up along the wall and this thing came over the top of where his pulpit was and it had lights in it and it was like the hand of God <laughs> down, <laughs> down on Dr. Kennedy. But I, I appreciate that man and his ministry so much, uh, largely in part because he had such a heart for evangelism, but he was just so intelligent. He could take people to task when it came to sharing uh, scripture and truth. And uh, so many times when he'd have debates with those that believed in evolution or any number of uh, controversial subjects, man alive. Uh, it, on the Christian side of things, you look at it as he is, he is tearing it up. Bring it on there, Jim. He was doing great. But at this conference that I went to, uh, it was to train you up on a method to share your faith. Evangelism explosion. And they had this uh, thing that you would go through. Not that it was a, a necessarily a step-by-step-by-step -step -step thing, but it gave you a, uh, a framework, a format for sharing your faith uh, in any given situation. So I went through the whole training, and uh, they, at that time, were the ones that really kind of put that on my heart to pray for divine appointments. Now that you've been trained in this way to share your faith, Pray for people that would come along that you could do that with. And so got back to North Carolina, you know, kind of wore out from the trip. A few days passed. I was working with youth in our, in our church and in the community at the time. Started remembering some of the things, looking over some of the notes from that seminar. And I thought, boy, you know, I, I really uh, I haven't been praying about this. I really need to put this to work uh, to test God in this and pray for uh, divine appointments. So I, I prayed. And then later that day, I get a phone call from a young man that was in our youth group. And he said, hey, there's a, there's a friend of mine that's here visiting from out of town, a childhood friend. And she has really been through it. She's, uh, you know, they were like sophomores, junior in high school. And she, he said she has tried just all the different things the world has to offer, even at this early age. She's had a rough time. He said, I've talked with her. My parents have talked with her. He said, but I, I mentioned that, that you might be able to share with her and, um, you know, help her in her situation. And so um, I said, sure, you know, have her come over. You know, not even thinking about what I had prayed earlier. I'm just kind of thinking, well, yeah, I'll talk to her. I'll, I'll talk to anybody, <laughs> you know. So bring her in. So she came in and we talked for a little bit, just, you know, where you're from, kind of, uh, you know, just simple things. And then... Um, I said, tell me a little bit about your, your past, your history, because Jonathan had mentioned something about that. And she just started breaking down, crying. And she just said, I just feel like uh, everything that I've done, I feel like I'm going to hell. Uh, can you help me with that? And I remember thinking at the time, Lord, is this it? <laughs> is this my opportunity to share? <laughs> kind of feeling like it is. And I started thinking about the training and um, just felt very unprepared. Uh, but I had taken, uh, b between the time that they'd called and the time that they arrived, I'd taken my evangelism explosion notes and put it on that little pull-out thing on your desk, you know. So I got it right there, something. And I stumbled, and I'm, it's, it's like, oh, that was like the worst gospel presentation ever by anybody. That's the way, that's the way I saw it. 
And at the end of it, of course, you ask them if they want to pray to receive Jesus into their heart. And she just started crying, yes, I do. Wow. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that, <laughs> you know. But praise God. Uh, we prayed together. She accepted the Lord. And, uh, but I tell that story because that's the way we are a lot of times, right? Because we haven't taken the time to allow God to prepare us for what He has for us that day, a lot of times we miss it, don't we? God wants to guide us and direct us and give us His words to share in any given situation throughout our day to bring glory to Himself. So we see that as we look at this text today that it doesn't appear that Philip took them to Jesus because of what the text says. Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. So we have Andrew, Peter's brother here. And Andrew, it's, it's this apostle that has the reputation throughout the Gospels of leading people to Jesus. So it's no wonder maybe that Philip went to get Andrew because it's like, well, hey, Andrew always leads people to Jesus. Have him do that. Now, we don't know for sure from the text that Jesus ever met with or even talked with these Greeks. Because as you read on in the text, it doesn't appear that maybe they're present. Can't be dogmatic about that. I don't, I don't know for sure, but it appears as though he, he's not. Uh, what he has to say to Philip and Andrew, though, as we look at the text as we move forward, is going to apply uh, to everyone, including the Greeks, including us here this morning. You see, even if they weren't present when Jesus begins to speak, what we're going to be looking at, what He has to say is for them and for us, it's for everyone uh, over all time for us to hear. So we've gone through the book of John. We have referenced two verses fairly regularly. It's two verses that are kind of a basis for everything that we've seen through the, throughout the book of John. One of them is John chapter 20, verse 30, that says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. He did many other things. These guys were spending time with Jesus every day, and I like to think of it that they were catching a lot of the high-level stuff. Or maybe they were catching the stuff that was just, uh, just really had an impact on them. But he was ministering all day long, sometimes 24-7. I mean, uh, Jesus was, uh, obviously, he, he's an amazing man in history, but we know what he did for us So, as God. He came to earth to spread his message. And so the disciples were on the front lines of that on a regular basis, so they got to hear a lot of things. So John's saying, man, if I tried to write down everything that he said and did... Uh, you know, all, all of the books throughout history couldn't contain what he did. But then he says in John chapter 20, verse 31, the verse right after that, but these are written, the things that John has documented for us in his gospel, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's his whole purpose for writing the book. What? That you may believe. Very simple phrase, all of this is for the purpose of, the focus of believing, that you may believe. John's purpose for writing this gospel. So John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, captured for us all the stories, the teachings, the miracles, all the work that Jesus did, and he recorded it here for all peoples over all time. For what purpose? That you may believe. 
And by believing, it says, that you may have life. So those two verses should pique curiosity in all of us. Wow, by believing I have life. Well, I thought I had life. No, this is something else that's being talked about here. What are all of the things that Jesus said and did? And knowing them, will it cause me to believe that what He said was, was true, something that I can bank on? Well, these Greeks, they wished to see Jesus, to talk with Him, to hear what He had to say. And they may or uh, may not have had the opportunity to meet Him personally on this day, or even to hear what He had to say on this day. But because we here this morning hold His Word in our hands, we are blessed with the opportunity to, to hear from Him, to meet with Him. God says in Jeremiah 29, 13, And you will seek Me and find Me when what? When you search for Me with all your heart. So as we come in here this morning, as we gather together, as we open up His Word, as we're seeking Him with all of our heart, He has something that He wants to say to us. And we also have that opportunity to see Jesus each and every day when we go to Him in prayer, in worship, and in the study of His Word. So basically, we see Jesus when we seek Him, right? We see Him in our own lives, and we see Him in the lives of others as well. We see Jesus in His Word and what it says to us. Verse 23, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. But Jesus answered them, Philip and Andrew. At this point, it appears as though He's talking only with Philip and Andrew. But we know the disciples were always around and there were others as well. So we don't know who all is gathered there, but Jesus is speaking these things. And He says, the hour has come. Well, what, what hour, you might ask? The hour of all things that have been prophesied by Him that He has been saying about Himself all this time, it's all going to culminate this very week. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. We have seen time and time again, in many different situations as we've gone through the Gospel of John, Jesus has made it clear that His time had not yet come. We, we see that phrase repeated time and time again. But now it is the time. The Father's divine plan has come together. We saw that last week when we looked at the triumphal entry and how that was prophesied years before. And Jesus came in on Palm Sunday. It was prophesied to the very day back in the Old Testament when He would come in. So the plan has come together. The plan is coming to fruition for salvation of the world right here. The hour has come. It's now time for the purpose for which Jesus came to come to pass. Now we saw variations of this particular phrase used many times so far in this gospel. Let's review that real quick. John chapter 2 verse 4 at the wedding at Cana, Jesus' mother tells him, we're out of wine. And woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That's not it. So John chapter 4 verse 21 with the woman at the well the hour is coming when you will not worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem, he says to her. The hour is coming. Verse 23 in that same text. But the hour is coming when you will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. The hour is coming. It's not yet here, but the hour is coming. 
John chapter 5, verse 25, he says to the Jews, when Jesus claims equality with the Father, the hour is coming. You can look forward to that. Something's going to happen. John 5, 28, with the Jews again, speaking of His resurrection, for the hour is coming. John 7, 6, He says to His brothers when they pressure Him to go up to the feast, My time has not yet come. A couple verses after that, in verse 8, again to His brothers, He's basically saying, you guys go up to the feast, I'm not going yet, because my time has not yet fully come. Chapter 7, verse 30, John tells us, that they tried to take him, they tried to lay hands on him, but no one did because, why? His hour had not yet come. And then in John chapter 8, verse 20, while he was teaching in the temple, the same thing, they tried to lay hands on him, didn't happen for his hour had not yet come. Back to our text, chapter 12, verse 23, now he says, the hour, what? Has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. All of the things that he's saying the hour has not has not come, it's not my time yet. All those things that he had said before now are coming to pass right now from this point on. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It's time. The hour has come for what? The text tells us. The Son of Man is going to be glorified. Well, how? Well, paraphrased, he's saying, hey gang, I'm going to be glorified this week. The Father's perfect plan at the perfect time. God knew what He was doing. Looking at that, we touched on this a little bit last week, that should give us comfort. Because God knows. God's sovereign. He knows what's happened in the past. He knows what's currently happening right now. And He knows what's going to happen in the future, right? He's got it all worked out. We struggle with that, don't we? Because we're in the present, and we don't know what the future holds, and we're like, God... I want to know. I need to know so that I can figure out what it is that I need to do. I need my plan, <laughs> right? We're all there, aren't we? I got a plan for this, Lord, and I don't know what's going on. And God says, well, you know, hey, I've got a perfect plan. I've got it all worked out. What I encourage you to do is just trust in me. That's what God's saying. So the creator of what? Everything, the universe. <laughs> He's got it all under control, doesn't He? We can just trust in Him. I think that with all the things that we can see in His Word that He's already handled, the testimony we have of that, probably whatever it is we're going through is a pretty small thing for God, isn't it? Not that it's not important to God. It's very important to God. He wants to work in our lives. He wants to reveal Himself to us as He works in our lives so that who gets the credit? God, not us, right? So it's not our plan, it's His plan. He's the one that gets glorified. Same thing is happening here in our text. Verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So the principle here is something has to die in order to create new life. We all know that. We know enough about planting gardens and farms and all of that that you have to take a seed, put it in the ground, and it has to die in order to germinate to actually create a new plant, create new life. So that's what Jesus is saying here. But obviously, He's not talking about wheat in particular. He's talking about Himself and us. 
So this week, what is it that's going to die? What is it that that's, that's the, the grain of wheat? Jesus says, it's me. It's me. I'm that grain of wheat. To produce new life, I must die. So Jesus says the grain of wheat dies for us to produce new life that's available to us. And we must accept His sacrifice and die to self in order to experience this new life that He created, right? If we're that seed, we got to die to self and accept Jesus into our heart in order for new life to be birthed in us as well. So we fall into the ground like this grain of wheat. But if we don't, the text also tells us what happens as well. We remain alone. We're on our own. If we're not dependent upon Jesus, what are we dependent upon? Ourselves, aren't we? I don't know about you guys, but that's a scary thought for me. It just is, because I know how I am. I know what I know, but there's a lot that I don't know. How many of you are there? Amen? Can I, get <laughs> I don't know what I don't know. And there's just a lot I don't know. Especially in circumstances that come up. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Jesus is there. He's available for me, for you, in that regard. So the hour has come. Jesus will, this week, fulfill the Father's plan of salvation of the world for those who will accept it. Like I said before, remember, there's two types of people. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ and those who have not. It's the only two people groups. True life is only found in and through Jesus. We know that from Jesus speaking about His sheep in John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that they may have what? Life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now I look at that verse and the first thing that jumps out as, uh, at me is abundantly. Sometimes I don't always feel like I'm experiencing life abundantly. Do you? You know, you look around at the world and all that the world has that you don't have and you're just like, well, what's abundant about that? They got way more stuff than I do. <laughs> well, if you're focused on stuff, you're going to want more stuff, right? So, may have life, this true life, the true life that's in Jesus, and it will be abundant in us. You know, the peace that passes understanding, comfort in times of distress, uh, all the way that He works things out in our lives, including rebuke and correction. Uh, has anybody experienced that here besides me? I get that on a regular basis. Uh, but Jesus died to offer us life, abundant life, true life, not worldly life, not a life with a worldly focus, but a life in this world with a heavenly focus. In this world, but not of this world, as it tells us in John 15. Jesus chose us out of it. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The text says, but seek first. But. The but he mentions here is instead. Just substitute that word into that verse. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God. Takes on a whole new meaning. Instead of seeking what? Well, all of the things that he mentions in the text before he gets to this point. I encourage you to go back and read that. Two of those things being worry and doubt. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've been there. 
I worry. I doubt sometimes. I worry about doubting sometimes. <laughs> but worry and doubt in this world, it doesn't mean that we won't have trouble. In this life we will have uh, persecution. We'll go, we'll go through tough times, won't we? We know that. But it just means that we have somebody on our side through those things to encourage us and guide us. We just have a different focus on it when we do. Because if we have a heavenly focus, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, we look at it entirely differently than we do otherwise, right? It's a heavenly focus, a focus of real life in Christ. How many of you remember a guy by the name of George Michael in his days with the music group Wham? Yeah. Now George, he was a lyrical genius. Do the jitterbug. Do the jitterbug. Remember that? Huh? You take the gray skies out of my day. You make the sun shine brighter than Doris Day. Wake me up before you go-go. Don't leave me hanging on like a yo-yo. He was a lyrical genius, was he not? I mean, just listen to that. It's so deep. Well, you might also remember in the music video, he wore this t-shirt that said what? Choose life. Remember that? Well, in George's case, we see now that it was a life filled with drugs and depression. Maybe it's time for a new t-shirt, George. One that says choose true life. Not just choose life. True, true life in Christ. Verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now at first glance, that's kind of a disturbing verse, isn't it? Hate your life. Just hate it. <laughs> yeah, that's encouraging, isn't it? But what he's talking about is the difference between having that heavenly focus and having a worldly focus. Hating the life in this world because we're looking forward to what God has for us in heaven, right? Now, don't get me wrong. We have some <laughs> wonderful, marvelous things that we experience in this life. Our kids, for example. We love our kids. Kids are a gift from God. Grandkids, though, are even more, I think, a gift from God. You get an amen from anybody? <laughs> Sometimes we ask ourselves, how is it that you gave me something so precious when, when you were growing up, no, we won't go there. <laughs> Grandkids are wonderful. We, go, we have those things in life that are just amazing. We do. We experience those things in this life, in this world, but we experience them at a whole different level with a whole different meaning when our focus is on God because then we see those things that we've been blessed with as a gift from God. That heavenly focus tells us Man, this, this came from God, no doubt. This wasn't something that the world offered me because we know that all those things are going to fade away, right? Even that Corvette that I want, you know, it's going to, well, I was going to say it'll rust, but obviously they're made out of fiberglass. Parts of it will rust, but it's going to go away as well, right? But it's those things that we have invested in for the kingdom that are going to have everlasting, eternal consequences. It's a different focus. It's not loving and focusing on a worldly life, not focusing on worldly pleasures, but having that 
heavenly perspective, looking at it through the filter of God's eyes and God's heart. God, let the things break my heart that breaks your heart, Lord. Let the things that you are concerned about, that I would be concerned about those things as well. It's a heavenly perspective, a different heart and a different mindset. Romans 12, 2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This verse is saying, think differently than the way the world says to think. Don't conform to the world's way of thinking. Don't be ripped off by what the world tells you is the best way to live. Living by the world's standards. But rather asking, what, God, what are your standards for living how would, God, how would you want me to live? What is God's definition of true life? Well, the answer is in the next verse, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. The verse is basically saying, follow Jesus, serve Jesus. And you are with Jesus and he's with you. And in that, you're honoring God. You're glorifying God in those very things. As a grain of wheat that falls, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. But, in, but by dying, He produced life for us. Jesus was resurrected from the dead so that we could be resurrected from our dead life in sin, a life in this world to new life in Him. We have a choice to choose life. Which one? Which one are we going to choose? A worldly life that places us on our own or a true life that places us in Jesus? I say again, get a life. <laughs> get the life, true life, life in Jesus. Amen?